You're listening to Geek Cred, episode number 44, featuring Len Peralta. Hello, Internet. I'm Steve Rickyberg, and welcome to Geek Cred, the podcast that delivers in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews about everything geek. This episode's featured guest is artist and podcaster Len Peralta. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. So, for those who might not be familiar with you, tell me about yourself and about your background. Who exactly is Len Peralta? Well, that's a good question. I don't even know who Len Peralta <laughs> is. That's a tough question. That's a philosophical question. No, I am, um, I am an artist from Cleveland, Ohio, doing uh, all kinds of things for all kinds of people on the internet for about five years now or so. My big project that people may know me from is Geek a Week, which is an art project and a podcast project. I tried to interview 52 geeks in 52 weeks and draw them as trading cards. Uh, I did it, and I finished uh, late February, and uh, I just launched season two of Geek a Week on Kickstarter at DragonCon. So uh, that's 16 new geeks. It seems to be doing pretty well. The Kickstarter got funded and looks like we'll be producing uh, the 16-card set uh, coming next month. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely going to get to that. But backing up a little, uh, growing up, did you always see yourself as an artist like you are now? Was this something you always wanted to do? Um, I always knew I wanted to do something creative. I didn't know what exactly it was I wanted to do. I mean, I had always drawn... For a while, I thought maybe I could become a writer. Or when I was really young, I wanted to be a director. When I remember I was like 10 or 11, probably about 11 years old, I would spend my summers writing scripts. Like I wrote a a full 120-page script one summer. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, I just parked myself in front of the Smith Corona and I just wrote. It was it was terrible. I mean, it wasn't anything good or anything, but the fact that I was able to write. Yeah, just to do it is still an accomplishment. <laughs> it's like a 90, I don't want to say it was 120. It was about 90 pages because at that time I actually did the research. I did a lot. I went to the library a lot. I read a lot of these books and they said, well, it's about a page a minute roughly. So I'm like, oh, I want a 90 minute film. So I'm going to write 90 pages. So it was kind of derivative of a lot of the stuff I was watching, you know, at the time, which was like, there was a movie called The Sword and the Sorcerer. I was reading some J.R.R. Tolkien, and I was kind of mashing all this stuff together. So, I, you know, at one point, I, I, I wanted to work in the entertainment industry. I wanted to work, uh, you know, as a writer or a director. But, you know, art always was, a, was something I could fall back on because I would always draw and do cartoons. Mm-hmm. I always drew. So that can, always came easy, and it's always, as is always the case, you tend to take for granted the, the talents that you don't really work on you know what i mean like if you if you were a great piano player you just kind of take it for granted no you know i don't really know it's not you know there's no effort involved well you're a great piano player maybe you should just be you know maybe you should play the piano for a living so uh, the art thing you know was just something that i could do and it never really occurred to me that that it was a talent necessarily so i i started i would do more of it and i just started to draw every day Probably about five or six years ago, I just started just drawing something every day. And, and I just kept building on that and building on it. And that's kind of where I am today. So this isn't just something you do on the side. You're a full-time freelance artist now. 
Yeah. I have my own company and I've, I've been working out for myself for uh, close to 10 years. And uh, a lot of the stuff I was doing was was kind of advertising marketing type of stuff. And I would uh, do logos and graphic design and that still pays the bills. But uh, I added illustration services probably around 2006 and started doing a lot more. And I started finding this niche on the internet and uh, found I could connect with a lot of different um, a lot of different artists, but um, not just cartoonists and illustrators, but also musicians and things like that. And so I think it was this kind of you know nexus of all these really cool technological leaps where you didn't necessarily need millions and millions of dollars of equipment to mm-hmm. do some really great stuff. I mean, just like podcasting. So it allowed me to uh, not only market me, but also just... Um, kind of get equal footing with everybody else. You know, using using Photoshop and things like that are just tools and you're really at the at the mercy of uh how you use those tools. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, uh, as soon as I st- I started realizing how to draw digitally and stuff like that, it started to really expand what I was able to do uh and gave me a lot of confidence uh and speed as well. That was the important thing was speed. <laughs> right. So, you mentioned Geek a Week at the top. For those who might not be familiar with it, tell me a little bit more about what Geek a Week was. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, Geek Week was a challenge. It was a, a year-long challenge that I took on in early 2010. I was working on some other projects that were really, you know, sort of fun, sort of cool. Working on um, some books and uh, posters for some some events and, and some other really fun, geeky sort of things. And I really wanted to do more of that. So that was kind of a response to me just wanting to do more geeky sort of art. Hmm. Because I, I had a lot of fun doing it. I was known for drawing monsters and zombies and things like that. And um, I just wanted to do more kind of fun stuff. Like things that I, things that I gravitated to as a kid growing up. I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be that person. So I developed this project called Geek a Week. Where, like I said, I would draw 52 geeks in 52 weeks as trading cards. And I collaborated on it with, with my friends Paul and Storm, a musical comedy duo. They helped me write the card backs and um, kind of get this project a little bit on tone. And I did it. And it was pretty cool. Like I, when I first started the project, I thought, well, you know, I kind of have a fighting chance here because I knew some people who were geeky and were sort of popular. So like um, Jonathan Colton and Veronica Belmont and the Rift Tracks guys mm-hmm. and, and I figured I would start with them, hoping that I would do good work and continue to expand out. And um, it just, <laughs> at some point during that process, it just became a dream project, this unbelievable project to work on. I mean, I, I, I got to talk to some really awesome people. And it was, there were moments in the project where people started to contact me to be a part of it, which was mm, cool. Because yeah. if you... If you look at who I was able to talk to over the year, there are some pretty big luminaries in there. I mean, there's Stan Lee, there's Steve Wozniak from Apple Computers, Weird Al Yankovic, Felicia Day, Neil Gaiman. There's just a lot of really well-known people. And so to have that kind of response to my project was really overwhelming and just really kind of mind-blowing. And it was just, it was a lot of fun, which is why... I decided to do season two mm-hmm. uh, just because of the the response was pretty big and it was it seemed like a lot of fun. I mean, people seem to really like it. In some ways, it's um, which is kind of funny. Just today, Bill Corbett, who is uh, on Twitter, is um, 
Bill Corbett. <laughs> he played uh, Crow in Mystery Science Theater. He, um, he tweeted me and said, hey, you know what? You actually uh, bring Geek a Weeks together, you know? So Bria Grant, who used to be on Heroes and also uh, she's on Friday Night Lights, they sort of connected uh, mm. online because of Geek a Week, which was pretty cool. So it's some, sort of like a little fraternity <laughs> of people that I've created. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's cool to see those, um, those collisions. And it's, you know, it's really fun now even, especially to see all these people I've drawn kind of interfacing with one another. Not, not because of me necessarily, but if you're watching The Guild, the newest episode of The Guild had um, Amy Berg and Grant Mahara and Bonnie Burton, all these people that I've drawn. And I'm like, if anything, I've gotten the right people in it, you know, because, (laughs) you know, because they all pop up in the same sort of places and stuff like that. And so I guess I can rest assured that it was a pretty, it's a pretty cool little slice of geek culture that I was able to collect. So that's pretty neat. And doing it as trading cards, that seems like a really inspired decision to me. Yeah. You know, that was, that was really where, um, it sort of came together. And I got to give credit where credit was due. It was Storm who, who actually suggested that I should do the trading cards. And uh, originally, we were kind of kicking around the idea of actually doing a, a game in very much the same way you would do Magic the Gathering or something. And so that's right. sort of why you'd ha- you had you know, the hit points and the crits and stuff like that on the back of the cards because we had started to think, oh, this would be great if we could do it. And we just, we kind of abandoned that really, really early on just because it was like, yeah, we don't know what Making games is hard. <laughs> it is hard. Although, you know, it was Ken Plume at DragonCon had said that, you know, and this has come up multiple times, is that if there's somebody out there that wants to take the card game and turn it into an actual game, we'd be more than happy to see that happen. I think that'd be really mm, awesome. Yeah. What was the inspiration for Geek a Week? Just, I, there's something about trading cards and there's something about that that is really, it speaks to just nerddom in general, collecting, mm, mm-hmm. collecting things, be it Star Wars figures or trading cards. My response to it personally was I was a huge Star Wars fan growing up and I had every single card of every Star Wars trading card that came out Hmm. from uh, not so much Return of the Jedi because I had kind of gotten past that. But I was in 77, I was I was collecting the blue trading cards for Star Wars. I have, you know, it's kind of funny because I have them all in this old book and you can kind of see like, oh, these are like 30 or 40 blue cards. And then they went to the red set, which was like, wow, this is cool. And then they went to the orange set and the green set. And you saw it as it went on. I collected more like yellow. I had like pretty much every yellow one, every green one, every orange one. Um, and then for Empire Strikes Back, I had every single one of those. So like um, creatively, I took a lot of inspiration from just being a collecting enthusiast myself and also just those cards because they meant so much to me. Like I collected so many of them. And one of the things I always wanted to do on the back of the cards, which is just virtually impossible based on the parameters of what the project was, I thought it would always be cool to do a set of Geek Week cards with like a bigger picture on the back that you have to put together kind of like they had for all the trading cards, mm. like a big puzzle or something like that. I thought that'd be really neat. And then also visually, I, I was a big fan of these things called uh, wacky packages. They were really popular in the 70s, but they also kind of came back just a couple of years ago. And uh, I remember one Father's Day, I got this book 
called Wacky Packages. It was all the Wacky Package uh, art and stuff. And I brought a lot of that in there because I was always a fan. As a fan of Mad Magazine, a fan of Wacky Packages, a fan of Cracked, you know, all mm-hmm. these things that were kind of funny and and um, not only Mad Magazines uh, from the 70s, but also Mad Magazines from the 50s where, where you had artists like Wally Wood and Jack Davis who would hide things in uh, the art. And I always, I always loved that. I love the meta. They were meta before <laughs> meta was even really available. Right, yeah. It was just amazing to me how much detail they put into these drawings. And not only that, like they took liberties with the art where frame by frame, it was on a comic panel, it was supposed to be sequentially it was supposed to be uh, right in time with the scene, but they would do things and put other little messages and little things on the walls and little billboards and things like that that were always changing. And I always found that really amazing. And then the other thing, I was validated later on in life because uh, Matt Groening from The Simpsons had mentioned that that was like one of his favorite things too. Was there this, you go. You know, and so The Simpsons always always had this same sort of thing. Early episodes of The Simpsons always had things you could keep looking for and hide, you know, that were hiding in there. That was was always from Mad Magazine. And so bringing all these inspirations, all these kind of crossroads of all these different sort of influences, it really was, I guess, and, you know, I didn't really ever think about this, but it really really was an homage to my childhood Hmm. (laughs) and growing up and just the things that I loved that, that appealed to me. I was just very, very lucky that people seem to respond to it. Not because that I was doing this stuff, but only but because it seems to hit visually. Hit, right. hit a, yeah, the whole idea resonated with a lot of people. Exactly. And so it's just kind of bringing all these ideas together into a big pot and then seeing what comes out of it. So it was, um, it was pretty exciting to see that happen. And probably one of the most creatively satisfying pieces that I've done, I've worked on, it's just been really, really great to work on it. Mm-hmm. So how did you connect with Paul and Storm and end up collaborating with them for the cardbacks? Well, you know, everything comes back to Colton, Jonathan Colton. <laughs> Jonathan Colton did a similar, you know, song a week project, thing a week, which he did in 2006. And uh, I was tangentially involved in that, in that as Colton would write a song, I would illustrate the song as it came out. <laughs> so Colton said that he would slave over a song or he has said in the past that he would she would slave over a song and then like an hour later there would be art from me that <laughs> it is, was kind of like that is crazy it was funny it was a really cool collaboration and it was a thank you too because uh jonathan had written my wife and i into one of his thing a weeks the pod safe christmas song which mm. i had a little bit to do with getting that song written and so as a thank you, he wrote us in. And so as a thank you to him, I started drawing his art. And it was this collaboration that kind of opened the door to a lot of different people seeing my work, including Paul and Storm, who at the time were starting to tour with Colton and perform with him out just in different places. And so uh, I had met through, through Colton, I had met Paul, and uh, I illustrated uh, their CD, News to Us. We just became fast friends. We've been friends ever since. And we've just... There's like a really good chemistry between all of us. And by all of us, I mean Paul Storm and Colton and I. We just have a really good chemistry. We're roughly around the same age. And we're all kind of in the same place, more or less, life-wise. And so um, we just became really good friends. And it was this collaboration that was kind of a give and take between all of us. And, you know, I got to work on some really great stuff from from knowing them and 
just being around, hanging around the awesome. Is, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, I no, mean, that's I, what it I was. Do. Really, it was really just based on just friendship, you know? So was, I, I'm very fortunate, really, to have met them. But to answer your question, uh, everything now has, I always like point right back to Colton. <laughs> Colton and Hodgman, at least. Todd, John Hodgman was another guy that I, I connected with really, really early on. And it was, it was Hodgman, then, then Colton, because I found out that Colton was, was working with Hodgman. And it was just, it was like this weird, it, it couldn't, things couldn't have happened at a better time. So we were just all in the same mind space around the same time. And I think that was what kind of helped the creative process a lot. So, Right. So part of what I originally wanted to get you on was to help promote Geek Week Season 2, but awesomely, that's already completely funded on Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, though? It's, um, it's still taking donations. So you can go there now and pre-order the whole 16-card. There are three flavors. There's a 15-card set, there's a 16-card set, and a 17-card set, which includes me as a Geek Week, which, <laughs> which I kind of just threw in at the last second because I thought, oh, you know what? These are kind of cool. I'm sure people, because they were convention-only cards. I was only giving them out at Dragon Con and right. Comic-Con. Which, so, um, I just kind of made those available for people who thought they, they'd want them. You know, I would definitely love to see the project go higher than 100%, obviously. And uh, so, no, there's nothing wrong with promoting it. I still have six more geeks to release, too. So as I reach different funding levels still, I'm trying to release a geek every week mm-hmm. or, or every other day or so. I mean, it all depends on when Storm gets me the card. Back, so. <laughs> definitely something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's some really great art there. And it's, I think some of the best art for the series is in season two. I'm really mm. proud of everything done so far on that. And there's some really great, really great cards coming up too. So yeah, go and support it. Definitely. And of course people can buy the original 52 geek a week set over at think geek, right? Yes. Right now there are only two sets available, which is um, cards one through eight and then nine through 16. But uh, we are working on trying to get the remaining cards printed and out all things considered we're going to try to do that hopefully before the end of the year we'll see um just got to work on a lot of a lot of different things and got a very busy end of the year here but that's one of the things we want to try to do definitely awesome so going a little bit behind the scenes tell me about your process and your workflow and what you use to create this awesome artwork well it's funny because i'm always learning i'm always trying to do new things and always trying to see like how can i do something differently how can i work differently and um what I found that's worked for me personally is I'm still a pen and ink guy. I still draw on Bristol board with pencils and ink only because I feel it gives me the most control. I have definitely, I've tried um, a little bit more over this year. I've tried to do more digital work, but I am more at home actually doing my art as hard copy than scanning it in and then doing the painting online. So what I, you know, there's a blog actually that I started, which I haven't really promoted too much, but it's it's out there. It's called the Assembly Line. It's a Tumblr, uh, and you can get to it at lenperalta.tumblr.com. And what that is, is basically, you can see my process. I let people into the whole process of creating a piece of art from conceptual stage, which is the pencils, to tightening up those inks, dropping flat color in an illustrator and then porting that over to Photoshop and then doing all the effects and stuff like that. It's, I've done about, I want to say about 12 or 15 pieces on the assembly line. And uh, it's interesting to watch, or at least I think it's inter- it is interesting for people to watch uh, just because it's, 
<laughs> it seems like sorcery, I think. I was say, people, you know, like <laughs> PFM, pure freaking magic. Well, yeah. And it's funny because once again, getting back to that whole thought at the top of the show where I just said that it's not magic if you're just sitting there doing it and you're, you know, and you're working mm-hmm, on it. But mm-hmm. if you can't, if you don't have the talent, for example, like I can never sit down and write a song. I can't sit down and write like a catchy tune. Maybe I could write something that's like, oh, okay, that's, that's good. It's never going to send a million hits or anything, but it's all right. My kids, on the other hand, are uh, they started a band and they write these songs. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> How do you do this? How do you even sit down and figure out, you know, what do you do? What's the process? And it, to me, it's to me, that's sorcery. So the assembly line is just a way for me to kind of document that, I guess, and uh, show people, hey, this is, these are the steps. This is what I do. Because I get a lot of questions from people like, well, you know, what pens do you use? That kind of stuff. And I try to be as open about that as possible. But uh, it's not magic. It's just, it's just what, you, <laughs> kind of what you do with right. it. Right. Yeah. It's not about the tools. That's the artist. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it, it is the tools. I mean, the tools can definitely All right, I help say, you. The tools don't make the artist. Right, exactly. Like, I remember when I first started learning Illustrator, I remember I got, I went to the bookstore and I got myself a book on Illustrator and I'm sitting there reading it and I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn Illustrator. I'm going to do the tutorials and I'm going to sit down and figure out what the hell it is that people do and how they do this. And I'm doing the tutorials and I'm like, this is not even really teaching me anything. Like, it's teaching me the basics. It's teaching me kind of what I need to do to make stuff, but it's not really teaching me how to draw. Not that I was expecting it to do that, but I think maybe it was a revelation to me. Like, wow, this is this is really just kind of showing you rudimentary, like what you do, it's up to you to how to how to put the all these tools together. Just because you're working on something called Illustrator doesn't mean you're gonna be one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've seen some really awful things in Illustrator. And um hopefully I can try to avoid that by knowing what my limitations are and what the program's limitations are. But I use Photoshop, I use Illustrator to put a lot of stuff together. But I'm, like I said, I'm a pen and ink guy. I really like that. And it's been a journey trying to Mm. find tools to kind of work with and and make that happen. Old school. Yes, it is. And it's funny because I teach cartooning classes and I really want to take the kids to that next level, which is the digital portion of it. But the school doesn't really have a whole lot of the technology. So it's kind of frustrating to me because it's like, well, I want to show you how to do this stuff, but I can't show it to you without you actually having to get computers and Wacom tablets and Photoshop and being able to paint. And so, you know what I mean? Like it's all a journey. So, but those are the tools. Those are the things I use pretty much every day. And uh, it's been a struggle lately to draw. I've just been busy on so many other things. I tweeted recently that like, I'm an artist, right? Then why am I writing so many emails? (laughs) (laughs) I should be drawing, right? I should be sitting at my drawing table. And most of the days uh, recently, it's been going empty just because I've been on conference calls or or typing an email or trying to generate a job or something. Mm -hmm. The joys of being a freelancer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't complain. There's a lot of other people that are a lot worse off than I am, but it is kind of frustrating when I can't, when it feels like I can't get to the art table anytime you know, in the near future, it's just kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I definitely understand that as a creative, but not artistic person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what inspires you creatively? Oh, that's the question, right? Uh, I, someone asked me this question recently and I had a really cool answer for it, but I want to give you a different answer. My, my answer is just like anything I look at 
<laughs> I want to like figure out how they did it. I want to figure out how hmm. how they did that and how I can incorporate that into the things that I do. You know, I guess the, the short answer is I don't know what inspires me until I see it. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's so cynical. I mean, if I were more Pollyanna-ish, I guess, you know, I guess you would say I get inspired just by getting up in the morning and looking. It's a beautiful day. It's like, <laughs> you know well, yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an open-ended question. I'm not expecting you to say rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> right, you know? right. No, I don't know until I see it. Yeah. It'll be like the smallest thing too. It'll be like the minutiae of something that it's, wow, that's like really awesome. Like, how can I repurpose this idea? Which is another way of saying, how can I steal this and make it my own? Like, <laughs> but it's not, it's not necessarily that. But it's, um, I mean, I like to try to surround myself with things that are inspiring. I guess one of the things I love to do is going to the comic book shop and just walking into a comic book shop hmm. and just surrounding myself with all this really great art. This is so funny. I, you know, people think that like I'm... Um, Oh, you must really be in the comics, man. You must, I'm like, no, not actually. I couldn't tell you too much about like backstories and, and heroes and stuff. I go into the comic book store to look at the art. You know, I like looking at the covers and I love I love just seeing the different styles all sitting on a table. Right. Yeah. That to me is so gorgeous. There's something that excites me about that. Just seeing a, a like a big long comic book table with all those colors and all those different pieces of art and just so much influence and, and different things. It's just so beautiful. And um, that really kind of, I love that. I love doing that stuff. And I tell my students, I say, go, just go to a comic book store, man. Just go and just look and take it all in. Because there's so much inspiration, pop culture inspiration from all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I, I like to live creatively. And so, yes, yeah, so that's, that's a huge, I love doing that. It's just so much fun. Right. As I'm talking to you, I'm looking at what's on my cabinets and stuff. And there's like a, there's Timmy the monkey from Think Geek and a Lutra Libra mask <laughs> nice. and a Tribble. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. It's like, okay, well, I guess that's just eclectic. Just being eclectic, I guess that's what inspires me. Right. Eclectic. So rapid fire time. Don't think too much. Just give me your answer. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Dark side or light side? Gray side. <laughs> <laughs> you know, light side in public, dark side, just with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel or DC? I ask this question to my people too, with my Geek Week, and I never answer it myself. I am going to say independence, independent companies. Mm, yeah. Mac or PC? Mac. Robots, pirates, or zombies? Uh, I'm going to say zombies because they've made me a lot of money in the past. <laughs> what is your favorite science fiction curse word? <laughs> Frack. That's like an actual curse word in BSG. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's one of the only ones that come to mind. It's like an actual curse word. Because like Han Solo never curses. Right. And you'd think he would too. Like he's the kind of guy that <laughs> yeah. cursed, but he's he never the rogue. ever. He's supposed cursed. to be a you know. Yeah, he's a space pirate. He never ever said anything. There was nothing. So frack, you know. I mean, right. that's a great word. Mm -hmm. So I, I admit I kind of borrowed this question from you. But if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh man, I would have the ability to. Uh... Yeah, that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> You want to do something altruistic, 
I would have the ability to instant happiness. Like you'd mm. be able to just talk or just do something and you'd be able to have this sphere of happiness that can extend out and everybody can feel this happiness. Right, yeah. And then, you know, it will have to dissipate after a while because it's, that'd be a great superhero, right? This oh, guy yeah, would. makes everybody happy, but as he's making people happy, he himself gets diminished. Mm. So he can only do it so much before he himself just becomes totally spent. Right. right. So he has to choose the right people to put in this bubble and choose where these moments of happiness are going to be, you know, to save up where the happiness. But in the end, I'm making up a character right in front of you here. And you know, this is all trademark, <laughs> right? <laughs> in the end, he can only choose for these moments of happiness before he is totally gone. Hmm. So as he goes through his life, there was, you know, now this sounds really familiar. I think I talked to somebody once. It might have been somebody in Geek a Week did something similar to this. It sounds, it's starting to sound familiar to me, but they would only make certain people happy at one time. Mm -hmm. You have like three people in a room, only two of those people can be happy. So anyway, that's kind of like a, a <laughs> very esoteric. No, that's I, actually my, that's I, like my comic thing. So I, I, I don't know. That's, if that's really cool because you hear, you know, flight, X-ray vision, even time yeah. manipulation. But just something as simple as being able to make people happy is is huge. It's a to me that seems like a real base thing, right? The thing is about happiness is that you don't even really know when you're happy until you're sad. You don't really think about what you've lost until you've lost it. Yeah. And I think about this very often, not to get all philosophical on you here, Steve, but <laughs> I, uh, I often think sometimes when I'm, you know, I have my kids and, you know, my wife and we're standing there and I'll say to her every once in a while, you know, one day we're going to say these were the good old days, right? These were the really the good days. And we don't even really, we take it for granted. So one day something happens and you don't even realize that we had so much fun here and we weren't even really enjoying it. So I guess that whole idea of happiness and contentment is an interesting idea. Only because you don't even realize that you are happy until you're sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not to get philosophical. Getting too deep. What are you, what are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> so going back to a little bit of a lighter topic, maybe. Yeah. When did you embrace the term geek and begin to identify as one yourself? Oh, I was just thinking about this this morning. That's so funny. I, um, I don't know if I have embraced being a geek yet. I think I have. I think I embraced it when I realized that it was okay and that other people felt the same way. I started thinking about this this morning because I was like, well, what is geek? Geek is so mainstream now. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's not, you know, It's not even geek. It's just sort of this... It's kind of like alternative back in the 90s where everything was alternative. Well, if it's alternative and <laughs> right. it's like on popular radio, yeah. then it's not alternative anymore. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. So geek is this term that people use, but it's not, I don't know, it's like what makes a person a geek? Is it enough to say that you like Star Wars? Does that make you a geek? Maybe you're just a movie buff. I like Star Wars because it meant a lot to me. I have friends of mine who like Star Wars because it meant so much to them when they were a kid. I'm kind of in that, in that camp a little bit. But what makes you a geek? What is it? And I guess maybe what I, where I come from, as long as you're passionate, then I guess that mm -hmm. means that you're a geek. So as far as embracing what geekiness is, 
I guess I've embraced that I am passionate about what I like and passionate about the things I like. So I guess when I allowed myself to do that, that is when I embraced my geekiness. Right. What would you say has been the geekiest thing you've ever done? <laughs> I've answered this question a couple times, and I always tell this story about this really embarrassing thing I did as a kid. I ran up a huge phone bill as a child trying to call uh, all the Star Wars characters. That was probably one of the worst things I huh. ever did. Huh. I learned how to use the directory and I tried to just call Star Wars characters, you know, like, you know, Mark Hamill, let's call him. <laughs> and it was not him, right? But I was like trying, I just call all these different people and it was like, my mom got the phone bill and I was got in a lot of trouble. So that was <laughs> I'm sure. Bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I think like, I wanted to be in like Star Wars and stuff. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> Before the days of free long distance and such. Yeah, exactly. You know, I just wanted to be a part of that universe. Yeah, I think also just going to like conventions and stuff is mm -hmm. really key. I took my kids to go meet. <laughs> well, this is a long time ago. I, I took them to go meet Chewbacca and, uh, you know, the guy who played Chewbacca, Peter Mayhew. And uh, Kenny Williams, is that it? Who plays R2-D2? Kenny, Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker. And uh, it was in this barn. <laughs> it was in this barn in Ohio. <laughs> And they were like, my son, my my one son, he's 14 now. He was two or three. And I said, we're going to go see R2-D2. And he looks at this guy and he's like, get that R2-D2. not R2-D2, man? I'm like, that is R2-D2, man. Check it out. And um, my wife was like, why are you taking them to these things? Like, they don't even understand. Like, they're too young to get it. Now they, now they would get it. Anyway. So where can people go to find more about you and keep up with your various awesome projects? Well, the best place to go is lenperalta.com. From there, you can find me in all kinds of different places. Or just do a Google search. You know, lenperalta.com will take you to Len Peralta. They'll always take you to, you know, you also find out about Geek Week and Monster by Mail and Flipface and all my other very type things that I'm working on. But the best place to go is just lenperalta.com. That's kind of where you can find me. And then, uh, Follow me on Twitter over at Jawbone Radio. Well, awesome. Thank you, Len, so much. You've definitely got some geek cred. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Steve. Well, that's just about going to do it for this episode. If you've got any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback, make your voice heard. Email geekcred at geekcred.net or call 818-925-4335. You can also find the main website with the show notes as well as much more information, including links to Facebook, Twitter, chat, and how you can donate over at geekred.net slash 44. If you enjoyed the show, please head on over to iTunes and show your support by rating and leaving a review. For Len Peralta, I've been Steve Rickyberg. That's it for me. So until next time, geek on. Geek on.